Welcome to A Waldorf Journey, a podcast for teachers, parents, students, and people who are passionate about Waldorf education. I'm Meredith, and I am glad you're here. You can find show notes for this episode, along with a lot more useful content on my website, awaldorfjourney.com. While you're there, sign up for the newsletter to receive updates about new content on the blog and the podcast. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as A Waldorf Journey. Today is Wednesday, April 5th, and I am just back from spring break today working with my 8th graders, and we're happy that it's spring, but it brings some its own challenges, I suppose. Today I'm here to talk to you a little bit about uh, some questions I received when I recently reached out asking what your biggest Waldorf questions are. So let's go ahead and start the journey. Hello everyone, I'm really glad to be back talking to you again today. As I mentioned in the introduction, today was our first day back after our spring break, which was a little odd because it's a Wednesday, but we had to do that because we had so many snow days this year. We had to um, add some days back in. We usually get two weeks off for spring break, which is pretty luxurious if you ask me. And uh, so it, it made sense to take one of those weeks back for uh, to add in some of those snow days. So I had a lighter load today. Not all of my eighth graders were there, but, um, but it felt good to get back into the classroom. And we just started our anatomy block, which is always a lot of fun. So, so one quick little story. I have been encountering people in my life more and more who are mentioning to me that they are listening to my podcast. And I always get a little, uh, I guess I, I blush a little bit and I feel a little um, embarrassed, but I guess I really need to recognize that I shouldn't do that. You know, I guess you know, I'm sitting at home just talking to my microphone, and so I'm I'm happy to be sharing some of my thoughts and ideas, but it always, I guess, surprises me a little bit when I meet somebody who says, oh, I listen to your podcast, and I'm, all, I'm getting lots of great feedback, lots of people telling me they're enjoying it and, uh, and getting a lot out of it, and I do have to share a little bit of a chuckle. One of the people who told me that she listens to my podcast is one of my students, and I guess I should have known that, you know, teaching eighth graders and recording a podcast, it was inevitable that they were going to find out about it, come across my podcast. And, um, and this, and one of my students shared that she, uh, just happened to be listening as she was getting ready for bed. And so I could imagine her, uh, you know, listening to my podcast as she's, uh, climbing into bed. So, so anyway, just, uh, hello, any eighth graders who might be out there listening and, um, hello to the rest of you too. So if you do happen to know me or meet me, um, I would love to hear that you're listening to my podcast and that you're getting something out of it. And um, if you have questions that you want me to talk about, I would love to hear them, Um, which that's really what today's podcast is all about. So a couple of weeks ago, well, I guess it's more than that, maybe a month ago now, I put out a request to my email list saying, what are your biggest questions? And, you know, I can answer them on the podcast. So Lots of people responded, and uh, and it's great. I've got some good content, and there are a few questions that happen to come up again and again. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I recorded another podcast that was uh, answering some of these 
questions that came in. So, uh, so this is kind of a follow up to that. If you would like to get onto that email list so that you can get those requests for questions, or I often share, you know, anytime I'm there's new content on the blog, or if I've published a podcast, I tend to just drop an email to that. Uh, email list and uh, lots of people um, are on it and get a lot out of it and it's a, it's a good way to kind of keep track of what's going on here and uh, yeah stay connected so I also always include like some kind of little freebie thing I you know I just I love to give away a lot of the work that I've done I just really want teachers to have a lot of success and enjoy what they're doing and so the the kind of giveaway that I have set up right now is uh, it's kind of a form that is a main lesson review for the teacher and it's based on these questions that Elsa Gotkins who is a longtime Waldorf mentor uh, that she recommended that you ask at the end of every main lesson and so I kind of created a a self-review form based on those questions. So if you subscribe to my email list, you will get an email in your inbox that includes a link to download that form. So uh, I hope you will enjoy it. So you can, the way, there are a couple of different ways you can join my email list. And one is by, of course, going to the website. And there's there are plenty of little opt-in windows there for you to do that. And then the other way, this is kind of brand new, this different, this new technology, because I recognize, I know that when I listen to podcasts, I am listening to podcasts on my phone. I'm usually out on my walk or um, something like that. So it's not so easy for me to just go to a website to subscribe. So what I have figured out, and there's, you know, Anyway, I found this way that you can subscribe to my email list via text message. So if you send a text to the number 444-999 and you send the word Waldorf, so text Waldorf to 444-999, you will get a text right back asking for your email address, send your email address, and you'll just get automatically subscribed. So that just makes it really easy if you're not home at your computer and it's not easy for you to get to uh, the website to subscribe. So nice, easy way to do that. And then you'll also still get the email with the download link to the main lesson review form that I like to use. So I hope you enjoy that. So let's go ahead and dive into the content for this week. So I just kind of saved all these emails that people replied to me and, uh, and I'm just going to go through them and talk about my ideas with, of my thoughts about some of these things. So the first thing is from a subscriber who's been, she's been subscribed for a while. Her name's Herky and her question is, what are your views on unschooling versus Waldorf homeschooling? Um, so this is an interesting question and I have to say, um, you know, like all kinds of disclaimers. First of all, I'm not that familiar with unschooling. I mean, I know a little bit about what it is and, um, you know, did a little bit of reading up and research before starting to record. So, um, but I know that there are people who are really passionate about unschooling. And so I think to really get a pretty thorough answer, you should seek out one of those people and find out what they think about it. Um, but I feel like I can talk a lot about Waldorf, uh, 
Waldorf homeschooling, well, Waldorf school and, and homeschooling as well. So, um, of course, I am most familiar with Waldorf education in the classroom. And though I did uh, homeschool my daughter for a very brief time, my um, ex- area of expertise is definitely in the classroom. So so I can kind of talk about that homeschooling at, in as far as it is similar to uh, classroom Waldorf education as well. So, uh, so anyway, I think I'll just dive in. So unschooling, it's really this idea of allowing students to follow their own interests. And if you do that, having this idea that, uh, there's so much that is interesting in the world and fascinating that they will encounter really everything that they need to, um, to, to, learn about the world and to round out their their skills and all of those things that they that students can just learn that by following their own interests so to me i think that's i mean that's not the official definition but that's what i think of when i think of unschooling and there and whereas what and so it's really kind of abandoning the idea of having a prescribed curriculum and this idea that you really can't force anyone to learn anything and that you um to to allow a child to follow their own interests rather than a prescribed curriculum so so in many ways that is very very different than waldorf education and i think you know one of the things that came to mind when i was pondering this question is that sometimes people families and parents who who are attracted to Waldorf education you know often have kind of a non-traditional approach to education and that they really kind of value thinking outside the box when it comes to education and so what that means is that they sometimes imagine that Waldorf will kind of bring them this kind of freer more open-ended way of learning and that you know it, it's actually a a um you know a, a huge misconception if you ask me and though we don't we do look at all kinds of different ways of learning you know we look we're, we look to create these well-rounded children who and we look to meet all of these different ways of learning when it comes to the curriculum a Waldorf curriculum is actually very prescribed and uh it's so prescribed that it um, it's this developmental curriculum so that students, we look at the, the fifth grader, for example, and the Waldorf curriculum is expertly crafted to meet the developmental needs of the fifth grader. And so that's a real far cry. So that means there, there are very specific curriculum choices that are made based on a child's age and that it really I don't I can't imagine how an unschooling and a Waldorf Waldorf schooling approach can really combine to um, to in in one approach to education so uh, so it is a very prescribed curriculum and that is one of the most beautiful things about it I can't tell you how many times 
I have prepared curriculum or I've told a story or I'm, you know, getting ready to tell a story and I observe something in my children, in my students that tell me that this was exactly what they needed at that moment in time. I mean, really the Waldorf curriculum and the the developmental mindset of the Waldorf curriculum is the the biggest blessing and gift that we could ask for and uh and so so yeah i mean i'm of of course a firm believer that finding the right story uh based on a child's developmental stage is uh is absolutely possible and necessary and i don't know that it is something that they're going to find on their own. I don't know that if we allowed them, if we allowed students to, to follow their interests, that they would find those stories that are going to just meet them at, at just the right time. I mean, some students maybe, some students that might be the case for, but other students, I think there are so many other things in the world that, that, that attract their interest for a variety of different reasons. You know, they may see, um, you know, something in the media. They may see, some, have some experience that that dictates what their interest is, and that and so that's what they choose to follow, rather than like that that real connection to where they are in terms of their developmental stage. So. So I do think it's really important to take a look at that and to think about what are those elements of the curriculum that are just so well suited to that particular age of child. And, you know, things that come to mind for me, it's all across the curriculum, but, you know, I think about the third grader who is going through that nine-year change and they, you know, they have this moment of kind of feeling alone in the world. And so what does the Waldorf curriculum bring to them? It's how to prepare themselves and how to take care of themselves in the world. So they study things like farming and house building and, um, and, uh, uh, careers and all of those things. So it's, uh, again, a way of really meeting their developmental stage in a way that they may not have come across naturally. Um, the other thing is, you know, just from the perspective of being well-rounded, I know that there are plenty of students who have one, you know, that are, that are just fascinated with different topics in, you know, with, well, I guess I should say they're fascinated with like one area of, of interest and that they would always tend to choose topics in that area of interest. So I think of, um, like my son and I, so many boys I know who were just fascinated with science and space and, uh, you know, those things. And I know that, so then you'd know that they would learn everything that they needed to know about those topics, but then are they going to, you know, encounter the other, uh, you know, other things that they would need to know in order to be a well-rounded person. So, so I guess that's, you know, that's one reason. Um, and then the other thing that I think is really important to mention and to think about is the value of de developing the will. And when I think about children who are unschooled, um, what I want for them and what I, what I, I guess what I think about and I worry a little bit is the value of 
finding something to do that is difficult and persevering and following through until it is done, even though it is difficult. So if you feel kind of, if a child feels naturally drawn to study one area and you as your child's teacher uh, support them and continue to, you know, provide those opportunities in that one area of interest, uh, is it going to be that then schooling is always pretty easy for them and that they don't ever have the experience of finding something difficult, choosing something that's really hard and doing it anyway? And I think that is just absolutely invaluable for children and that we as parents, you know, we often want to spare our children of those experiences where something is just really, really hard for them. We want to somehow make it easier. We want to help them. We want to support them through it. And sometimes we kind of take those experiences away from them a little too much. And when, and it's so satisfying for them to have the experience of, something being really hard to do and they just push through and they get it done anyway. And at the end, they feel incredibly satisfied and they recognize that that they did it. And there's huge value in that, in the will development that comes along with an experience like that. Okay. And the last thing I really wanted to mention on this subject is the idea. And I uh, heard a mentor tell me this years and years ago, said this phrase that all education is self-education. And I think that that is an idea that really resonates with unschooling, the idea that you really can't force somebody to learn something. And it really is that it's it's their own desire and their own interest that causes them to, to pick something up and actually learn about it. And I believe that that is absolutely true. And that maybe in that sense, you could say that um, Waldorf education and unschooling really do have some similarities. Because I see this in my students all the time, that unless they really pick up the reins and want to learn about something, they're not going to even, you know, no matter how dynamic my lessons are or how interesting, or if it's, you know, a topic that is just something they're really interested in anyway, they're not going to learn it unless they decide that they're going to learn it. So, so I guess that, um, yeah, it is, I, I do truly believe in that. And I think that's something that you can apply, whether you are an unschooler or, uh, or a Waldorf schooler. So, um, okay. So that's all I have to say about unschooling and Waldorf homeschooling. So I hope that that, um, answers some sort of question, but I'm not, anyway, like I said, I'm not an authority on the topic at all. Um, and then let's see, I, you know, I received a very specific question about geometry and how it should be taught. And I think I will come back to that. I haven't really gone very specific with, um, with specific lessons and, and blocks. And I'm wondering, you know, I recognize that my, that the podcast audience is probably pretty broad and people teaching all kinds of different, uh, subjects. So I'm not sure how much, um, 
people would want to hear on that. But this one, this question specifically is about fourth, fifth, and sixth grade and, and geometry. And I think it is kind of an interesting idea, something to talk about in terms of, you know, you're kind of leaving form drawing behind and moving into uh, geometry. And, uh, you know, I have thoughts, of course, and I've taught all of those grades uh, geometry a few times. So um, so I do have thoughts about it, but I'm just not sure if uh, the podcast is the right venue for that. So if if that is something that you are interested in hearing about, and especially if you're interested in hearing more about um, specific lessons, then let me know about that. You can, again, um, email me at meredith at awaldorfjourney.com or get on the email list and, uh, yeah, and we can get in touch that way. So, okay, so I'm going to leave that one put aside for right now and um, and maybe come back to it or send an individual reply. But uh, so let's go to the next. So the next question is from a mom named Amy who has a 10-year-old son and she's asking about media. And I did record a podcast not too long ago that was really all about the topic of media. And I'll just read what she writes. She says, when he was younger, we lived in the country and he attended a Waldorf school and it was very easy for us to keep his childhood media free. Then we moved to a new town where I began homeschooling. The families that we spend time with now have much more liberal rules about media. And so she's looking for suggestions about how to handle this. And he wants to play video games all the time now. And it says, we allow him to play one day per week and have a movie night on Fridays. But he begs and talks about it frequently in between, including a lot of mentioning uh, of how much more his friends get to do. So uh, suggestions, activities that are good, distracting for a 10-year-old. Thank you. So, um, yeah, I will say a few things about it. First of all, go back and listen to that podcast about media if you haven't listened to that already. It, it's kind of an overview. It talks a little bit about the importance and why um, and what different people do in terms of media for children. Um, but I will say this is an ongoing problem. This is probably the biggest question I get. How can you limit media? And more and more and more, it is, it is harder to do. It is much, it's harder to do than it used to be. And, you know, screens are everywhere you go. The media is, it's just so accessible. And uh, so it's hard to just, I know that when my kids were little, I think I shared in this podcast that we had a television when my kids were really little. And then when my son turned five, we decided to get rid of it. And it was, we decided to get rid of it in large part because I found it very hard to resist. Uh, and he, you know, was same thing, just asking all the time, really wanted to watch TV, watch videos and that kind of thing. And I was a stressed mom and, you know, with the young kids and I turned to it, uh, more frequently than I wanted to. And so we ended up moving to a new house and in the move, we just got rid of the TV and it was really, it was great. It made it really easy. Um, then, but now it's a lot harder. I mean, at those days, I didn't, I don't think I even had a cell phone. I certainly didn't have a, um, 
a smartphone. And the we did have a computer, but uh, internet access was much more limited. And so it wasn't, uh, that wasn't really a concern. So, uh, so it was easy to just kind of bury our heads in the sand and ignore it. And that's not the case anymore. And I recognize that. And that makes it really hard. And I, and especially if you are around people and your child is spending time with people who do have more access than what you give them. And, you know, I guess the only thing, I mean, well, okay, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, if you can find a way to make whatever access they do have be very, very rhythmic. And so, like you mentioned in this, there's a movie night on Fridays that you do. So probably it's kind of built into your child's Friday routine and rhythm that they kind of come to expect, oh, it's Friday, we're going to watch a movie tonight. And that's okay. Like it's it's in there. It's it's part of their expectation. It's part of the rhythm. And so then it it comes and it's natural that they would ask at that moment, right? It's um and so if there is any other media that you're allowing your child access to. So um another parent wrote about Minecraft and how that is just like her child's obsession of the moment and you know, and what to, how, how to manage that. If that is something, then again, find a very strong rhythm for making it happen. And if the, the, ideally, and this, you know, certainly isn't always going to be the case, but if it always and only happens during those rhythmic times, you're setting yourself up for a little bit more success in terms of your child not expecting it or asking for it or wanting it all the time. Now, that said, it is a pretty seductive thing. These the children want media, they want devices, they, you know, there's something very satisfying about engaging with media and gives them kind of a quick fix and a quick form of entertainment. So you're it's just not going to go away. <laughs> it just isn't. And I think that what we really have to try to look at this, these things as is an opportunity. Um, th- these are opportunities for parenting, essentially, and that you can, you know, look for ways to build in to your the way that you parent your child, how to manage this situation. And if you don't stress yourself out about it. You, If you know that they're going to ask and you're going to say no, and then you know that they're going to ask again, and then you're going to say no again. And you don't beat yourself up saying, oh, they shouldn't be asking all the time. Or if they ask five times, you find it exhausting. And so you give in. Just, they can ask and you can say no. And they can ask and you can say no. And you that can be just fine. Um. If that isn't fine with you, if you do find it exhausting and you find it hard to resist like I did, then you can set something up so that if they do ask, there's, you know, I'm a, I know lots of parents have things against consequences and rewards, but I, uh, I use them and I think it's okay for you to uh, have some sort of consequence for your child asking to engage with media after you've said no for so many times. 
And uh, so think about that. But if you just don't try not to think about it as, uh, you know, something that shouldn't be happening, that they shouldn't be asking, it just is the case. They do, they are going to ask. And if it, like I said, if you want to do something about it and you want to limit it, then you can have a consequence. You just have to be really clear about what your expectations are. And um, so, yeah, I, I guess I really just have to, the, I mean, my last point on this is just to repeat again, try to view it as an opportunity to parent. It's an opportunity for your child to have a wish for something and to want something and for them to have to delay that, uh, the satisfaction of that wish and that that's a healthy thing. And, uh, yeah, just try not to view it as this bad negative thing that you're denying your child or, or whatever it may be. It might be tiring, but Decide what your rules are and follow through on them. And you know, that's all. I guess that's all I have to say. I'll just keep repeating myself if I keep going. So anyway, if anyone else has any suggestions for facing this really difficult question, I recognize it is a hard thing, but can I just tell you that it is worth it? it this is a good fight to fight. And this is a good line to draw because children who, I mean, any teacher will tell you, and I'm sure I talked much more about this in my previous podcast about media, that any teacher will tell you that they can really see the children who do engage with media and the children who do not. And the ability to engage the imagination and to build inner pictures is something that children who have a lot of exposure to media just can't do very well at all. So, so fight the good fight, keep it up, stick to your guns, have your rules, and follow through on them. And try to do it in a way that isn't going to, you know, I guess the, the other thing that this, um, this listener mentions is, uh, is that her family also has, uh, that they're closer to family now. And her family also has different rules as far as media goes. And, um, and I recognize that is a hard thing to do as well. And that you don't, you know, the relationships that your child has with your family members is, is more important than those, uh, than media. And, you know, of course you want to talk to your family members and hope that hopefully you can get on the same page as far as prioritizing the relationship and the interactions that, that your child will have with them and that they can't really do that around media. So I would work hard to, um, work with your family members on that point, but to recognize too, that, uh, it's, having that connection is more important. And, um, you know, I've, I know lots of people who their, uh, parents, the child's grandparents, you know, watch TV all the time and they really are torn about whether they should let their child go and spend time at grandma and grandpa's house. And I just, I, you know, I have, I, I have to say, I think it's more important that they have children have a relationship with grandma and grandpa, even if the news is on the TV. So, um, so anyway, that's just my own personal view, but 
Anyway, good luck with that. If anybody else has any uh, suggestions or answers to this question, I would love to hear them and um, maybe we can share them. I'll share on a future podcast or we can uh, uh, comment in the comments on the blog post that goes with this podcast. So, um, okay, so let's go ahead and look at the next question. Then I think I'll call it quits after this last one. So, this uh, question is an email from a mom named Laura. And Laura says, I am a mom of three girls, all five and under. We live in an area where we don't have access to a Waldorf school. So I'm planning to start Waldorf homeschooling my oldest this year. What are some of the best resources online and in the Pacific Northwest, that's where this mom is from, to find support and community in this schooling journey? Things such as books, websites, school supplies, teaching seminars, family camps, and schools to visit for inspiration are all welcome. Okay, so lots of ideas here. So the first thing I want to say is if you can, she mentions that she's not near a Waldorf school, doesn't have access to a Waldorf school, but if you can possibly get uh, build a connection with a Waldorf school, that is your best bet, especially if you've got kids under five. Um, all you know, most Waldorf schools are so welcoming to young families. They really want to support you, and um, ex- you know, they just want more and more people, especially those early childhood teachers. They just want every child to have a Waldorf education. So. Connect with a school if you possibly can. Usually they have parent-child groups that you can attend or they have little, you know, two or three-day kindergartens. Uh, If not, then the school might have resources for um, other parents that or connections with other parents that you might be able to build to have like a Waldorf playgroup or uh, something like that. So I know that when I lived in San Francisco, uh, that's what we ended up creating was a little Waldorf playgroup. And I was home with my little kids at that time. And it was just what we needed, just a little connection with other people who had similar ideas. So, so talk to a school if you have one in the area. Uh, so that's the first place to start. Second is if you don't have one in the area, it might be worth calling one that is, you know, a little distance away and seeing if they have, um, you know, often they have like parent uh, information evenings or sometimes they have like a, um, they'll have speakers that will come and, uh, you know, and talk to parents who want to learn about some subject or another. So, so take a look and see at the Waldorf school that's closest to you. And it might be worth, you know, take making an evening of it and going to listen to a speaker and then um, coming because while you're there, you'll often make connections with other parents. And, you know, even if it's a little distance away, it can be worth it. So it's, it's worth looking into, um, for that purpose. And then, um, other than that, I mean, there's so many books that I could recommend and, uh, you might actually, I don't think I've ever talked about this. My other website, I started years and years and years ago before a Waldorf journey. And that was, um, Waldorf reviews. And on that site, I haven't been there in a while. I haven't written anything on there in a while, but I have sections of reviews of books that, um, might be a little, 
outdated because some of the books, you know, I wrote, they came out a long time ago, but you know, a lot of this stuff doesn't really go out of style. So, so you can take a look for book recommendations on there. Uh, that's one uh, place to look. I will also say to take a look at the teacher training institutions that are around the country. And I know they're much fewer than Waldorf schools, but if you can get to a like a week long seminar or some or training or even a weekend, um, it it could be worth doing. I remember before I started my teacher training, my children uh, were really young, and I just you know want I just couldn't get enough Waldorf education information, and I I couldn't start the training yet because my kids were so little and. Um, and so my uh, mother, I actually found a, a weekend seminar that I really wanted to attend. And my mother kindly agreed to come along. We brought all of the kids. We stayed in a hotel room and it was in Sacramento. So it was a drive. It wasn't, you know, terribly far away. My mom watched the kids while I went to this training and it was like the most luxurious experience because, you know, somebody was watching my kids and I was soaking in all of this rich Waldorfness and loved it. So it's really worth doing. And, uh, you know, you can look at the Rudolf Steiner College in Sacramento. And then there are also, I mean, I'm going to talk specifically about the Pacific Northwest. There's a teacher training institute called the Michael Institute that is here in Portland. And I, they have summer training courses all the time. And then um, there, and I should say here in Portland, the school the school's almost, I don't know, it's probably once a month or so that one of the Waldorf schools in Portland will have an event or a speaker of some sort. So Portland is a pretty easy place to, to expose yourself to some Waldorf education stuff. Um, and then uh, there's also the Sound Circle Center in Seattle, which uh, is that's where I actually finished my teacher training and I highly highly recommend everything that they have there they have amazing teachers uh working at sound circle and so they've and I just took a quick look at their website and they happen to have like different trainings and things going on um throughout the year but especially in the summer so uh so it's worth taking a look and seeing if you can make that happen it's unlikely that you're going to find something that is really specific to the homeschooling year that you're going to teach um at one of these, I do know that Sound Circle has uh, this coming summer, they're offering a course on teaching first and second grade. So that might be something that you would find valuable. But, um, but I think even if it's not really specifically about the thing that you are about to practically teach in the moment, I think just exposing yourself and, and kind of soaking up some of that, um, the the Waldorf education information and anthroposophy I think is really going to help you and you'll feel really satisfied and nourished by it so so definitely take a look at those uh, teacher training institutes and then finally in terms of online resources um, I've looked at kind of creating a selection of online resources for people but um, I and I think 
I do have like a a blog post that has, you know, Waldorf blogs that you should read and of every now and then I'll comment, I'll I'll write a post about something um that is uh worthwhile for people to take a look at, but um, the reason I haven't really done a more thorough post about it is because there's one already out there and I will tell you it is, um, uh, waldorfinspiredlearning.com backslash resources hyphen for hyphen Waldorf hyphen homeschooling. And I will link it in the show notes, but, um, she has, and this is Jean and it's waldorfinspiredlearning.com is her, uh, is her website and she is uh, a Waldorf homeschooler and mother of three. And she put together this list of resources uh, that is just absolutely fantastic. And it get, really gives everything that you would, um, you know, all it gives a rundown of all of the different uh, curriculum options and uh, websites and different things. So, so definitely check that out. But in terms of curriculum, I think I will just kind of touch in. She mentioned several that I don't have any experience with, like um, ChristophorusHomeschool.org is one. Waldorf Essentials is one. Uh, Lavender's Blue Homeschool is another. Oakmeadow.com, Earth Schooling. Uh, all of these are, you know, Waldorf curriculum options that I have heard a lot about, but I don't have a lot, I don't have any direct experience with. So take a look at those though, and um, you can read reviews. A lot of them will allow you to download free samples so you can get a sense for um, if that's what you really need. Um, I do have some experience with um, one of these curriculum options that Jean lists on her website, and that is liveeducation.com. And uh, this is a curriculum set that is written by Waldorf teachers, and you do have to purchase the entire grade package. And my understanding, I actually have no idea how much it costs, but I my understanding is that it's kind of uh, one of the upper end options. And uh, but I think what what can be really nice about live education is knowing that one, it was it's written by uh, trained Waldorf teachers, so that's uh, something to really think about. So that you can, I know that as and I have used, as I said, some of their materials and have definitely found the um, you like the underlying child development picture is really right there. Like I, I can feel, I can tell that this, that these um, lessons were written with full knowledge of the child development picture. So, uh, so that's a really good thing to bear in mind. And the other thing that is really nice about these is that they do include like review activities and uh, lessons and things that you might do along with the new content, which I honestly, in my own curriculum materials, I tend to, um, I don't give a lot of that information because my experience is that the activities that you do really should be in response to your students' reactions to the content. And so it's a bit that it's a very responsive kind of education in that way. And so I, you know, I can say what I did, but the aspect of the story content that you 
it may be a different part of the story that really resonated with your students than what did with mine. So, so I don't give a lot of information about those review activities, uh, other than, you know, what I've done, but I really, I try to keep it pretty wide open. So live education can really, like, they prescribe a lot of that. They'll tell you exactly what you can do when it comes to those review activities. So if you kind of feel a little bit at a loss or, you know, not really trusting of your own judgment in terms of identifying what resonated that with your students, then live education can be a, a really good option for you. But I do want to, you know, I'm just going to put in a plug that I really want to Uh, encourage teachers to trust their own judgment and to really see, you know, into it, what does feel right for your students to do uh, with the content that you taught them about the, with the story that you told them the day before. So, so anyway, think about that, but live education can be a really good, um, a really good option for you. And, oh, and it does come with consultation. So, uh, and I, yeah, so I, and I've heard lots of different things about that, that these teachers really care and they really want to see that you are using their curriculum materials in a way that is going to support your child best. So, um, I know that there are other, lots of people out there who provide curriculum support. So you can, again, find those resources on this Waldorf inspired learning.com. And I know that Jean herself, um, provides some of that through, uh, various, um, avenues on her website. So, so take a look at that, but really her website is, is a very thorough, um, uh, review of all of the the resources that are out there to support uh, homeschooling teachers and classroom teachers as well, for that matter. So, um, okay, so let me just click back and take a look at those um, her questions: books, websites, school supplies, um, supplies. I pro- I've talked a lot on my blog about school supplies, so take a look at some of those, especially when you well you say you have. Five, girls five and under, but in the upper grades, um, I wouldn't worry too much about making sure that you use uh, a Waldorf supply shop, which, um, you know, a lot of people use Mercurius, but I think you have to be either a school or have a wholesale account or something like that. I could be wrong. They may have changed that by now, but um, free yourself from kind of looking at it in that uh, in that way, you don't necessarily have to use the the Waldorf materials, um, at least in the upper grades. I use Dick Blick for a lot, and uh, there are a lot of supplies that I like that are kind of outside the norm uh, in those upper grades, especially. But in the lower grades, I am still a huge fan of the Lyra crayons uh, and. Or yeah, are they Lyra? Yeah, they're Lyra. I'm pretty sure. Um, anyway, beeswax block crayons and stick crayons in the lower grades, and um, the Lyra Furby Super Furby pencils. So definitely uh, take a look at those. But you can find those in lots of different places. So don't uh, feel stuck there. So anyway, I hope this is helpful. Um, you know, if you are kind of out there trying to do your own Waldorf thing, and there aren't a lot of Waldorf resources. Um, in your, you know, direct area, then try to get yourself somewhere, you know, even if it's just for like a weekend workshop, um, view it as a, a little treat to yourself and you'll be really glad that you did. You can soak it all in and meet other people who are doing what you're doing and
and stay in touch with them in other ways. So anyway, I hope that this was all really helpful to you. I feel like I rambled and talked quite a bit, but, um, uh, but I enjoy doing it. So if you have any questions that you want to send my way, uh, I'd love to hear them. So you can email me as always at Meredith, M-E-R-E-D-I-T-H, uh, at a Waldorf And again, if you want to get on my email list, which I highly recommend, and you'll get that again, main lesson review, uh, document that I think you'll get a lot of use out of, then text um, if you're on your smartphone you can text 444-999 and text the word Waldorf and you'll get a text back you can enter your email address and then you'll get automatically added to the list and you'll get the email with the download uh, for that main lesson review form so I hope you will go ahead and do that and um, yeah I look forward to talking to you in the next episode it'll probably be a couple of weeks uh, before and then right after that I'll be going on my eighth grade trip with my students that we're really looking forward to so uh, anyway have a great couple of weeks and I will talk to you soon